Well, the full picture of Christmas, we launched it last week. We'll continue that for the next several weeks through the month of December. And as we look at the full picture of Christmas, there's one character that comes to mind quite quickly when we think of the Christmas scene, and that is the beloved Mary. Mary, what a story that it is about who Mary was and who she became. And when you think of Mary, there's a lot of things that probably come to your mind to describe who she was and her response to God's calling in her life. Of all the extraordinary women that are mentioned in the Bible, we see that Mary is the most beloved, the most blessed, the most favored by God, and most universally admired by other women. Now, in today's part of the Christmas story, uh, Mary is visited by Gabriel, the angel. And Gabriel comes with some really startling news as he announces the conception of Jesus Christ as well as the soon coming and birth of Jesus. Would you take your Bible with me and go to Luke chapter 1, please? Luke 1 is going to be our text this morning as we look at this story and this encounter of Mary and the angel Gabriel. In verse number 26 is our text this morning. We pick up chapter 1, Luke. It says, And in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin espoused or engaged to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail, thou art highly favored, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He shall be great and shall be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there shall be no end. Then said Mary unto the angel, how? How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. And behold, thy cousin Elizabeth, she hath also conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For with God nothing shall be impossible. And Mary said, Behold, the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. This morning, we look at the life of Mary and we see how she embraced God's call. She didn't run. She didn't doubt. She embraced what God had for her. And so we're going to look at her life and look at the application that we can apply even to where and who we are today. Let's pray. Father, We thank you for the music that has prepared our heart, the time of celebration of our children's ministry, the hard work that our boys and girls are doing. We thank you for this church of people who labor and serve and who participate in your church and in your work. I thank you for the partnership that we have in Jesus. I thank you for that close relationship that we can have in a unified spirit. This morning, as we come together, we're looking at the full picture of Christmas. And last week, as it was planned by you, I thank you for using Isaiah to pen the words of prophecy 700 years before the event. And how we see and are encouraged about how you have everything planned. 
Father, today we come now to a, a very important part of the Christmas story, a Mary who was humbled and used by you. I thank you for using just a somebody to do something extraordinary that we can relate to and that we can connect with. And so use this time together of our study that it would bring uh, thoughts to our mind that would shape our hearts, bring change and conviction where needed, bring encouragement to those steps that are there. And Lord, just use this time to edify and build your church. For we'll pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. When you think about it, who would you say is the most courageous person you know? Like the most courageous person in your life. And when you think of that courage, there's a lot of words that would partner with that term of courage. Even in Mary's life, there's a lot of things that quickly come to our mind of who Mary was and where she was and what she did in bracing God's call. This act was supported by her already life-changing trust that she had in God. Because if she had not had that trust, there would be a, a lot of things that would have happened so differently in this story. You know what that trust looks like in your life. It's the kind that says, I'm going to be patient to hear from God. And then you're going to listen to hear God and then discern his plan for your life. You see, that trust and courage means that ultimately, courageously, we embrace God's call and we move ahead without any hesitation. Now, will there be questions along the way? Certainly, there are. Mary even asked that. We'll see in a moment. But the questions don't bog us down because the questions don't lead to doubt. The questions lead to faith. And when that faith is controlling us, the truth and the courage lead us to obediently walk forward. That's where Mary is. And so here, this embracing God's call leads us to let it write our story. When we embrace God's call to write our story, we relate here with Mary in verse 26 through 31 because it was, the, it was six months after Elizabeth had conceived. And the scene from the text has moved from uh, north. It's, it's moved north from Jerusalem to now this little town called Nazareth. And we've moved from the capital city to now this, this town that really has a bad reputation. Nazareth wasn't very well known. It was not thought well of. Remember when Philip and Nathaniel were interacting in the Gospel of John, uh, one of them said, can there any good thing come out of Nazareth? So that was kind of a normal mindset. Is there anything good coming out of this city? And so we moved from the capital of Jerusalem to this little town called Nazareth, and that's where this focus takes place. And we're told in verse 27 that this young woman, Mary, she was a virgin, and she was engaged to Joseph, which was a descendant of King David. Now, be engaged to be engaged in those days was much different than it is today, for the engagement could not be broken off unless it was given a divorcement because of sexual immorality. And so Mary and Joseph are in that relationship. They are engaged to be married this was a very big deal. That's why next week when we studied Joseph, why his response to what was taking place was going to be of a, a huge element of trusting God's plan to write his story as well. Now, Zechariah and Elizabeth, from the text before this, Zacharias and Elizabeth, they're at, the, they're at the end of their long lives. Joseph and Mary, they're just kind of at the beginning of their lives. And, and God uses... Um, different ways to write their stories. And he, the way he writes our story has nothing to do with our age. It has nothing to do with our hometown. 
It has nothing to do with who we are. Because God writes our story. Now, our stories look a little different. And the question we have to ask ourselves this morning is, is your story being written as a biography or an autobiography? Because the biography is written by somebody else who has studied and knows well that person that they write about. But the autobiography is written by oneself. Some of us in here, we, we want our life to be an autobiography because you give me the pen and the, and the page and I'll, I'll write how it's going to be, rip it, submit it to God. But then there are others who have submitted themselves to God's call to write their story and you're allowing it to be one that God knows you best and is going to write it the way he sees fit. So when we embrace God's call to write our story, we look just like a Mary. Mary was just an ordinary girl, and she received some really big news. This was life-changing news. This was a catch-you-off-guard kind of news. She's even trying to figure out what is going on here in the text. She's, she's very confused about what's taking place. Have you ever had those moments come in your life? where the news kind of hits you so suddenly, like come out of the blue kind of news. And that news maybe is written in ways that are in reference to your family or maybe your job or your career, or maybe the news has to do with your health or your finances, maybe some kind of relationship that you have here on earth. And when, when you embrace God's call to write your story, then it means that you've given him the pen to write your script. And you're just going to walk in obedience to how he sees fit to lead you. There's several in here who today, you know, you're in Lakeland and you're a part of Parkway Ministry because you allowed God to write your script. And some of you have moved from, from different places and, and now you're here right now and you're still asking God to show you, to lead you, to direct you because you've got a lot ahead of you and you're still trying to figure out what is next. Others who have maybe developed families and, and you're looking at your family and you're trying to decide some decisions that need to be made, things financially and, and things maybe uh, geographically, things for your career and things for relationships. And in the midst of all of that, there are a lot of things that we try to turn to based on past experiences or knowledge that we have. But that's the whole trusting in the Lord with all of your heart. It says that I'm going to take steps of faith, trust, and courage because I understand that God's writing my story and that's where I find my peace and confidence. Some of you in here, you've lived long enough to where you've tried to yank the pen and start writing on your own just to find out that uh, the ink flows too fast and you make a big mess. And you're like, oh no, I've made a big mistake. So when we embrace God's call to write our story we see that we can take the unexpected, the unsolicited, the unprompted, and we can put it into God's hands. And that's where Mary is. She didn't ask for this calling. Mary didn't train for this calling. Mary didn't hope as a little girl for this responsibility. And we might be tempted to think that Zacharias might have been a better candidate. I mean, Zacharias was in the temple. He was the high priest and Elizabeth, and they've been barren for so many years. They've wanted a baby, and, and this would be a good candidate. This is somebody that is of high uh, notice and recognition. And shouldn't we give this role to Zacharias and Elizabeth? But that's where God takes the ordinary, the forgotten, the unknown, and begins to write their story 
and show his grace. I love this. In verse number 28, the angel greeting to Mary reveals that she was chosen solely as a matter of God's grace. Look at verse number 28. He uses a phrase that says, Hail, thou art highly favored. That highly favored in the original language, in the original text, the meaning that it would give us is to make graceful, to honor with blessings. So he comes to Mary out of the blue and says, you are highly favored before God. You are given grace from God. You have been given blessing from God for this call. Your story will now be written because of God's grace. You may say, well, I don't really relate to that with Mary, but yet we do. As a follower of Jesus Christ, we are highly favored because in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 6, Paul's writing to the church at Ephesus and he uses the same Greek word. Now remember, Greek is the original language that the scriptures were written of the New Testament. And so when we dig into the original language, we can find similarities into words and messages. So when we see highly favored to Mary about God, we're like, oh, that's Mary. She's so extraordinary, different, and, and I can be nothing like her until we're like, oh, wait a minute. Ephesians 1.6 uses the same word that Paul is writing to Christians, and he says, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us, here's the word, accepted in the beloved. So as Christians, highly favored and accepted before God looking to see who and where our identity is found. Again, who's going to write your story? Is it going to be you or is it going to be God? In verse number 29, the angel saw her hesitation and confusion and he gives her great assurance and continues in verse 30 by saying, and the angel said, fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. Now, when we think of favor, we think of something that is our favorite. So we would say, that's the best. So if you put 10 different kinds of chocolates in front of me, my favorite is going to be what? Reese peanut butter cups, all right? If you didn't say Reese peanut butter cups, you're speaking blasphemy, all right? So <laughs> Reese peanut butter cups. And if you put a bunch of gummies in front of me, you've got the red, the green, the yellow, the clear, and the orange I'm going to go for my favorite, which is what? No, 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 gummy bears, yes. <laughs> now she's speaking gospel right there, amen. It all points to Reese Peanut Butter Cups. I'm going to go for the red and the green. Those are my favorite gummies, okay? So we know what favor means in our language, in our mentality. We'd say, this whole favor is going to be my favorite. So we'd say, oh, well, Mary has God's favor. He's found favor, approval, to Mary, but this word is actually going to be the word that's going to give us the picture of being full of grace. It's the same word, move uh, to chapter number two. It's the same word that's found in uh, chapter two, verse 40. The child grew, this is Jesus, and waxed strong in spirit. He became strong in his spirit. He was filled with wisdom and he was filled with the grace of God as it was upon him. So that's the same Greek word, grace, there. It's used 130 times in our English text, translated the word grace. But then look at verse number 52, chapter 2. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. That's the same Greek word as grace 
the same Greek word found in chapter 1, verse number 30, as found favor. So this word is used only six times or translated six times with the word favor in the New Testament, in our English New Testament. So what we would say here then is this found favor with God means that she was given grace, that she was found graceful before God, given a blessing before God. So you'd say, well, I don't relate to Mary, but yet we really do. Because in our life, we have found God showing favor and grace to us. Allow him to write your story. For some of you in here, you're struggling with the unknown. You don't know what next year looks like. You don't know what 2020 will be. You don't know what your future with relationship or career or job or family or finances or geography. You don't know and you're wondering... And here I am to just remind all of us that we have to have courage and trust, embrace God's call to write your story. If you've experienced it before, you know how encouraging it is, how, how um, invigorating it is to see God write it for you. And by steps of obedience, and by simple steps of trust, you will embrace God's call to write your story as it brings encouragement and grace and miracles and more lessons of how to trust him. In verse 32 and verse 33, the angel makes a transition here to embrace God's call to know, simply know who Jesus is. When we know who Jesus is, it makes a big difference. The song this morning, Jesus, only Jesus, and then the adore song, and then uh, the I believe, the, the, the creed, the song of our, um, of our confirmation of all that we believe in who God is. All of those songs really helped gear our mind to something about who Jesus is. In verse 31, Mary is told that she will conceive and the baby is going to be called Jesus. Matthew would write it in chapter 1, verse 21, and he implies he, Jesus, will save his people from their sins. That's Jesus, Savior and Lord. Gabriel proceeds to say that Jesus will be great a word that he had applied to John in verse number 15. Do you see that? Chapter number one, verse number 15, when Gabriel is talking to Zacharias, he says in verse number 15, for he shall be great in the sight of the Lord. And now he's going to come and use the same phrase or wording to Mary about who Jesus is and who he's going to be. This word great, it's a familiar meaning, but it's going to have a much fuller, deeper meaning for Jesus because he is going to be called the son of the most high. This sets him apart from all others and makes him son of God in a very special sense. This is a time of year when confusion really starts to come because the questions begin to be asked, does it really matter who Jesus is or who he was? And the questions will also be asked out there in our culture, in our society, is there more than one way to heaven? You know, there's a lot of belief systems out there. And there's a lot of things that seem very moral and seem to make sense. But we know, based on the absolute truth of the scripture and by the faith to receive and accept it, is that there is only one God and one Jesus. And that Jesus is God incarnate. We studied that from Isaiah 9 last week, that it was God who came in man form in order to live a sinless life so that he would be the suffering servant and be a substitute on our behalf on the cross. 
We studied last night in our family worship time as we're working through the names of Jesus Christ through our Advent calendar, and the one was mediator last night. And when we look at the term of mediator, of course, it was a weird word. Brooklyn grabbed it off of the board, and she's like, mediator? And I like, I don't know what this name is. And so as we work through what mediator means, it helps us to realize as followers of Jesus Christ, there has been a go-between. There has been someone who has come because, remember, we were the enemy of God. We were duking it out with God because we wanted it our way. That was our sinful flesh that was apart from God. And then there was somebody who came in and said, I'm going to fix this brokenness. I'm going to fix this falling short of God's glory. I'm going to fix this payment and wages for your sin. And so Jesus came to be that in-between, that mediator that has now brought the picture of peace. And what he has done on our behalf is said, I'll take the full payment and we're not going to pretend like the debt wasn't there. Justification does not say just as if I never did it before. Justification says I'm guilty as charged, but somebody came in to pay the whole thing off. And that's what Jesus did on our part. And so because he did that, now we have this great hope and assurance that Jesus as Lord means something very real. So the world religions that are looking to some other being or some other answer or some other God is going to always come up empty because their hope is in something other than Christ. Now, Gabriel goes on to speak of him, Jesus, as the recipient of the throne of his father, David. We see that in this text, 31 and 32. The Messiah was expected to be of David's line. And the, the uh, Davidic covenant in 2 Samuel chapter 7, if you want to mark that in your notes or mark that in your Bible, you can read that, certainly verse number 12 You've got chapter 7, verse 4 through 17 of 2 Samuel. That's the Davidic covenant that's talking about how the Messiah will come from David's line. And then again in Psalm 89, verse 29, 36 and 37, as the psalmist would pen the words of the coming Messiah. And this Messiah was going to reign forever, coming from the Davidic line as the king. And this is why they were so confused when Jesus came. They wanted to make him a king. They wanted him to, to free the Jews in Israel from the, 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 the Roman rule. They wanted him so badly to fight for them physically in their cause and so that they could be freed and liberated from this Roman Empire rule in their life. Jesus simply came to seek and to save that which was lost and to look for something eternal instead of temporal. That's why it frustrated them. That's why they wanted nothing to do with him. And it further brings into reference here in this passage about the kingdom, his kingdom is never ending. Remember that from Isaiah 9, 7 last week about how that kingdom will be forever and ever. So his rule and reign will be forever. And you say, well, what do, what do we do with Jesus? You say so you know who Jesus is. He is more than just a man. It's going to be easy to picture Jesus just as this cute baby this time of year. The little googling and crying baby that, that is very normal in that manger scene. And it'd be very easy for us to just picture the almighty God, Savior Jesus, as that, that feeble baby in the manger. But remember the power that that baby brought. Remember the picture that that baby represents. Because he is more than just a man. He is God. And because of that, 
Jesus said he was God and he proved it by his life. He proved it by his words, his deeds, and his perfect love. But also to know about Jesus is that he died for us. Our sin separates us from God relationally and eternally, and it requires the payment of eternal death, Romans chapters 3 and 6. But yet Jesus died for us. That's a celebration on our behalf. Anytime we're singing songs, and and part of the song comes about this picture of Jesus being dead and in the tomb, and then the song makes this incredible transition about victory that, that he had over death and judgment and over the, over the tomb. And then all of a sudden your spirits just lift and you want to sing, you want to shout, goosebumps all over. Glorious Day does a tremendous job with the lyrics, the tune, and the, and the mode of just worship in that song. So many of the songs help us to remember that he died for us because he came to save us. Romans 5, 8, God commendeth, extended, and demonstrated his love toward us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And he came to save us for those who would believe. Here's how Jesus said it. He that believes on the Son hath everlasting life. And he that believes not the Son shall not see life. That's John 3.36. He came to save you right now. If you're here today and you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone for your eternal salvation, we extend that invitation to you today to know the hope of God's love that can transform your life. In verse 34 through 38, the story continues. And we need to embrace God's call in order to accomplish the impossible. Mary sounds a little like Zacharias in verse number 18, but apparently there's no unbelief in her question. Remember what happened to Zacharias? Poor Zacharias in verse number 18, he says unto the angel, Whereby shall I know this? Like, how in the world can this be done? Can this happen? The angel did not look lightly on his doubt, and how he responded was that he made him to where he couldn't speak anymore until the birth of John the baptizer would come. And so Mary responds in a different way in verse 34. Look at it. Mary says unto the angel, how? How shall this be? seeing that I know not a man. She was not sexually active with anyone. She was engaged. She was pure. She was a virgin. And so she's not doubting. She's not saying, can this happen? She's just simply saying, how is this going to happen? And Mary's question builds on faith, not unbelief. That's really relatable for us today. You see how God's leading in your life? It's okay to ask why, It's okay to ask how, but allow those steps to build on faith, not to lead down a path of unbelief. You see, God wants to do the impossible in our lives. He wants to do something that is exceedingly abundantly above anything that we could ask or think. He wants to do great blessings. He wants to do the impossible. And we can ask him, how in the world is this going to happen? And allow that to increase our faith. Don't ask, can this happen? and lead to unbelief. This is why Gabriel doesn't rebuke her. I'm reminded of Hebrews chapter 11. We talked about this in connection class. In Hebrews 11, it says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for. That word substance is the word for assurance. 
Faith is the assurance of things that are hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And faith is very difficult. It's tricky. It's, it's a moment where rubber meets the road. It's putting your faith in something you cannot see, touch, or grab a hold of. It is faith in something that seems impossible. But that faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the evidence or the conviction of things not seen. Verse 6 continued, but without faith, it's impossible to what? To please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. So honestly, some of us, we're right there today. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. And God is, as the verse says, he's, he's looking for those that will come to him and just believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Are you diligently seeking him? Are you passionately following him? Are you letting him write your story? Do you know who Jesus is? And are you embracing God's call in order to accomplish the impossible? A.W. Tozer put it this way, God is looking for people through whom he can do the impossible. What a pity that we planned only the things that we can do by ourselves. Verse 35, she was called to trust the power of God. It says the power of the highest. His answer was not one of rebuke. He was just simply saying, we're looking for you to trust the power of the highest. How about you and me? How about us today? Are we willing just to trust in the power of the highest? When God says that the Holy Spirit will come upon Mary, it doesn't mean that God impregnated Mary, as some Muslims will slanderously believe of the Christian faith. That is blasphemy and it's false. Come upon in the text brings to mind Genesis chapter 1 verse 2, where the Holy Spirit was hovering over the face of the deep in creation. It's what Jesus quoted in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 5. Write it down, look it up, circle it. Here's what Hebrews 10, 5, Jesus said, Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he will say, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body hast thou prepared for me. See, the Holy Spirit and God the Father prepared the body for God to come in man form as Jesus. And that was conceived in the Virgin Mary. And there's so much that goes into that of why it was that way and why it had to be that way. But the power of the Holy Spirit, the power of God the Father, as they prepared the body for God the Son to be brought forth by Mary. And so the angel assures Mary and assures us that with God, nothing, nothing is impossible. And really, the moment that you admit the existence of God, you must deny the impossible. Let me say that again. The moment that you accept the existence of God is when you deny the impossible. And if I were to say in here, how many of you believe that God exists? Amen. Yeah. Everybody's got rallied around and that's us. But does our life and our attitude exhibit the fact that we don't now think that there's anything impossible? Because what happens is that we believe in a sovereign God, we believe in God the Father, and we believe in the power of the Holy Spirit indwelling us, and we have all of those beliefs on paper, but when it comes time for our life to live it, boy, we really struggle with that, because we wonder if God can really do the impossible in our life too. So the impossible happens when we embrace God's call. 
in Luke chapter 1 alone, God, it was nothing for God to take a barren woman and a virgin woman and to allow them both to conceive. Like Luke chapter 1 is the chapter of the impossible. In fact, that's just how God works. When Mary embraced God's call for her life, it, it brought her to a place of complete surrender and worship. Not a part of our text, but I want you to see how she responds. Verse 38 is a part of our text. Look how she says. She says, Behold, the handmaid or the servant of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. The words of Isaiah almost kind of echo in your mind, here am I, send me. Almost like Samuel who heard the voice of the Lord and said, I hear you, like call, what do you want from me? It's where Mary's point of decision comes. She's asked the how. She's been encouraged by God because God says, oh, by the way, Mary, your cousin Elizabeth, she's been pregnant for six months because with, with God, nothing is impossible. That's pretty encouraging. A lady that has been barren for many years, the Bible says she was a little bit of an older lady and yet God did this miracle and work. So God brought encouragement, affirmation. Uh, God brought through the angel some peace and comfort. Remember in the text, he says, fear not, Mary. He also brought the assurance that says, you're favored by God. Bringing this, you're not somebody gonna be more special than anybody else, but you've been chosen by my grace. And so now Mary comes to the end by basically saying, how could I respond any differently but to say, here am I, use me, I'm ready to go. Now in verse 46, Mary's heart and mind were saturated with the word of God. Look what happens in verse 46. Mary, she has gone to visit Elizabeth, her cousin. When she meets Elizabeth, Elizabeth is six months pregnant and uh, Mary has just conceived and verse number 46, and Mary said, my soul doth magnify the Lord. She didn't go to Elizabeth and say, well, looks like I'm the one. Man, I know we've been hearing about all these prophecies for all these years. I know what mom and dad taught us and Uncle Joe and Uncle whoever. But you know what? I'm the one. I got the raw end of the deal. Mary didn't have that attitude. Mary didn't even come to Elizabeth like, Elizabeth, you cannot believe what has happened. I don't know where I'm going to go. What am I going to do? This is not going to work out well. Joseph is going to kill me. No, Mary just simply comes and her only response is to magnify and praise God. She doesn't know how the script is going to unfold. She doesn't know how Joseph is going to respond. She doesn't know what culture and society and their conclusions are going to come to. She doesn't even know that she's going to travel to Bethlehem being great with child and be turned away from door to door and have to be in a manger in some, some cave there with some stinky animals to deliver her firstborn to wrap him in swaddling clothes and lay him in a manger. But she has no clue what is ahead of her. She hasn't gone on Target and registered for anything at this point. <laughs> but all she simply does is responds by saying, how can I not magnify and praise God? Boy, we would do a lot better if we would come to grips with how Mary responded, if that would be how we would respond. And that comes when we embrace God's call. She says, my soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior, for he hath regarded the low estate of this handmaiden, the humble condition of who I am. For behold, from henceforth, all generations shall be called blessed 
For he that is mighty hath done to me great things, and holy is his name. And his mercy is on them that fear him from generation to generation. He hath showed strength with his arm. He hath scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He hath put down the mighty from their seats and exalted them of low degree. He hath filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he hath sent empty away. He hath opened or helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spake of to our fathers, to Abraham and to his seed forever. And then a Mary abode with her about three months, and then returned to her house. Now you think, wow, Mary, those are that's quite eloquent phrases. That's that's amazing words that Mary would say. But do you realize that she was saturated with the word of God because here she's included not only echoes of Hannah's two prayers. Remember 1 Samuel chapter 1 and 2? Remember Hannah, barren, and really giving herself to the Lord and, and God saw fit to bless her with a child, Samuel, and she gave that child back to God, dedicating him for her, his work. And so she's quoting, Mary is quoting two of Hannah's prayers. She's also referencing several things to the law, to the Psalms and to the prophets. So her response becomes very natural because of what she has saturated her life with. Now think about our response. When we embrace God's call and he wants to write our story and he starts to write it in a way that we have no desire to be a part of, where do you find yourself in your response? What have you saturated yourself with? Have you saturated yourself with a mentality that says, no, this is my life. No, I'm going to go this way, and God's just going to have to work it into his plan. No, this is what I need right now in my life. This is what is best for me right now. Nobody else is going to understand, but this is what I'm going to do. Because that's what we've saturated our mind with, with what we read, with what we listen to, with what we watch, with the conversations we have. You've spent way too long on Facebook or Fox News or some other outlet that is saturating a humanistic mentality into your brain and into your heart. So Mary has saturated her life not with her Facebook profile and not with the gossip chains and not with the self-help books and not with her book clubs, but what she has saturated her life with has been God's word so that when some circumstance catches her off guard and it has derailed her plans of life, she just simply responds by quoting the truths of the law, of the Psalms, of the prophets, and of Hannah's prayer recorded in the word of God. So here is where we have to make that decision. Like, am I willing to embrace God's call? Don't walk out of here saying, I'm nothing like Mary because we're more ordinary like Mary than we really want to admit. Because here was somebody just out of the blue in a small little town called Nazareth, just north of the capital, where somebody would have not thought that some little virgin lady would be used in a tremendous way to bring in the Son of God to this world. But that's how God does it. He chooses just the ordinary to become something extraordinary because of their trust and their courage. And so when we look at the full picture of Christmas, may we, like Mary, embrace God's call. And like verse number 38, may we say, be it unto me according to thy word. Today, will you embrace God's call to write your story? to know who Jesus really is in your life and then to accomplish 
the impossible. Let's embrace it today.